turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. I want to let everybody know we are going through the book of Mark. We are Mark chapter 8 is the middle point of the book because there's 16 chapters. So we are trucking right along. I don't know if I can predict when we will be done with the book of Mark. It might be November. I'm not sure. Just trying to guess. But I am, I'm enjoying going through uh, like I always do, I mean, every time I go through a book, I just enjoy uh, learning new things, and especially around stuff you're familiar with, but you don't necessarily spend a lot of time focused on. So um, anytime you, you spend time through the Scripture, through the Word of God, it is, it's helpful, and uh, I'm glad you guys are here for it. So we're going to read Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started. So, okay, here we go. I'm going to put on my glasses so I can read what I'm looking at. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. We thank you for the light of scripture. Your word says that it's a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And this morning, Lord, I pray that this would serve as a light, as a beacon, that it would help us to see clearly the world we're living in, what we're facing, 
God, I pray that you would use it for your glory to bring people to Christ. God, I pray that we would all have ears to hear and not have hearts that are dull and hardened. Lord, I ask this morning that you would also help me to speak with clarity and that I would bring honor to the scripture this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, here we are again in the book of Mark, two chapters after he has fed the 5,000, we have a repeat of feeding the 4,000. Now this is such a blatant, repetitious moment that there are some scholars who say, wait a second, you sure Mark just didn't write the same story twice? And there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people who think that. They think that, that it's so similar that he, that somebody messed up. They're copying it down, writing it. Somebody messed up somewhere. We, we know that's not the case. I just bring that up uh, at the beginning because what we just read at the end is Jesus reminding the disciples of what he did with the 5,000 and what he did with the 4,000. So Jesus is making a distinction and a difference. The other thing that's different is that when you read the story of the 5,000, uh, it says that it was 5,000 men, and then it had women and children added to that. We don't know what the total number was. It may have been as much as 15,000. But in this story, it says there's just 4,000 people, period. So this crowd is not as big as the original crowd. But it doesn't matter how you slice it. If you can turn some couple loaves of bread and some fish into feeding all those people, it is a miracle no matter how you, how you look at it. Something else that's interesting, I just like to give the interesting things up front, when you read the story of the 5,000, uh, the fish that are described in Greek, when it says fish, it's a different word than here. Uh, in, the, in chapter 6, when he's feeding the 5,000, it's a general term for fish that the Jews use, where the Jews ate fish. But here, because we think we're still in the Gentile area, it's actually, and everybody's going to find this interesting, I did anyway, it's the Greek word for sardines. So how many like sardines? That's the fish Jesus is, is multiplying here uh, in this particular section, which would have been on the Gentile side of everything. So just some interesting stuff for us to know that probably won't necessarily enrich uh, your life, but it's it's interesting to know. Here's here's uh, and we're going to talk uh, a little bit more um, about some of the repetition because there's not just a repetition here. There's a repetition with uh, with chapter seven where Jesus goes from feeding the five thousand to having a confrontation with the Pharisees to here he feeds the four thousand and has a confrontation with the Pharisees. It, there's, there's clearly a reason that Mark in his gospel is trying to get us to think, and it's, it's, it's not even, it's not hidden, it's not some secret Bible code, which in parentheses I will say all that stuff is nonsense. It's not anything like that. It is just Mark trying to pound the same concept and idea through the life of Jesus into the reader, into our lives, so we should probably pay attention to that. Okay, let's look. Uh, just basically, the same thing is happening here in the first 
uh, 10 verses that happened the first time we read this story. There's a crowd, they're watching, or they're out to hear the teaching of Jesus. They're in a remote place. There's not enough food. Jesus has compassion on them, and he performs the miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish. So, we've talked about that in the the, uh, chapter 6. So, we're just going to move to what the Pharisees do. Look at verse 11. Because we're going to circle back to some of the repetitive elements uh, when we next week when we look at the rest of chapter 8. I want us to look at verse 11 in particular. The Pharisees, so this is, well, let's look at verse 10. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. We don't actually know exactly where this is. It's one of these uh, cities in antiquity we can't quite pinpoint. Uh, but we think it's down in that Gentile region of the Decapolis on the um, other side of the Sea of Galilee on the eastern side. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, the word test there means they were really putting it to him. They were really, really, really attacking him and trying to get an answer. But it's the kind of it's the kind of conversation where you've already made up your mind. Does anybody know this? You ever been in a conversation where the other person's already made up their mind and they're asking, but their asking is more like attacking? They demand an answer, but they already know the answer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Sometimes we do that as parents. Why didn't you clean your room? You know, you know that kind of conversation? Well, I already know why you didn't clean your room. Because you didn't want to. Because you didn't listen. Because you were scrolling through something on your phone. I'm not pointing out my children, because I'll hear about it after the service. But hopefully the rooms are clean when we get home. So, uh, But anyway, you, this is what's happening with Jesus. They already have a predetermined, they already know, but they're, they are there to pressure. They, the, you're seeing here in chapter 8 just a continual movement towards the absolute hatred of the Pharisees that leads to the cross. You, you, you're, they're, they're bitter, angry, and they are questioning. And they're arguing with him. And I love that verse 12, he sighed, Deeply in his spirit. This is one of those um, sighs. I think I've probably heard an exasperated person or two do this. Where you're dealing with somebody that's unreasonable. And you know that everything you say, they twist into something else. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, it gets turned into something else. So it almost feels pointless to have a conversation. It feels pointless because they already have made up their minds, they already know what they know, and there's nothing you can say that's going to change it unless you meet whatever demand that they've got. That's what the Pharisees are doing. He sighs deeply. This morning, I want us to think about who it is that's sighing. 
It's not mom or dad. It's not a brother or sister having an argument here. It's not two friends having an argument. And we're talking about God the Son incarnate sighing deeply and saying, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Now, ten minutes ago, I just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And just a little bit before that, I spit in my hand and stuck it on the tongue of a mute speech impediment guy, and I put my fingers in his ears. And just before that, I just spoke the word, and a Syrophoenician woman's daughter was delivered of the demon. Just before that, I performed all kinds of miraculous demon exorcisms and miraculous healings that nobody has ever seen before. But this generation is not getting a sign. Does that ever bother anybody? Like, wait a second, there's all kinds of signs. There's all kinds of signs. The Pharisees were witnesses to some of these signs. What's, what's the disconnect? What's the problem? Because if we were there and we were watching, we probably would have been a part of the crowd like, I want to hear what this guy's got to say because of what he's out here doing. I want to hear what this teacher has to say because of the miracles that he's doing. If, if you hear about somebody that walks into a synagogue and demons start screaming, this is a guy you want to listen to. Demons are afraid of this teacher. We have never seen anything like this before. But the Pharisees, having seen it too, do you remember what the Pharisees said about it? The Pharisees, we don't have to turn there, but the Pharisees back in chapter 3, they said it was by Beelzebub. It was by the prince of demons that he cast out demons. They dismissed everything that Jesus did as demonic. It was so bad, and the condition of their heart is so on display as obstinate, radical disbelief that Jesus says, you are demonstrating the unpardonable sin. You are attributing the works of God, knowing that they are, to Satan. The Pharisees, the same guys, are here arguing and testing him, demanding a sign. They're not actually asking for a miracle. Because they've seen miracles. That is not what they're looking for. They are looking for something that shows definitively that he is from God in a way that they believe will justify what they already believe. They needed Jesus to identify himself clearly, and they needed Jesus to say it in a way that made sense to them. They needed it to be done in a way that lined up with their preconceived notion of what the Messiah was. The Messiah, they knew, they were the Bible scholars, the Messiah is a political warrior figure. 
He's supposed to have a sword and a horse. He's supposed to lead a host of heaven. He's supposed to do all kinds of stuff. Whatever it is this guy's doing, and we can tell he's claiming, we can tell what he's doing. He's claiming it, but this, he, we know who his parents are. We know where he comes from. There is no way that's who you are. So show us a sign. Show us something that lines up with what we believe about a political Messiah. They weren't looking for a miracle. They were looking for some kind of proof that he was definitively who they thought he was supposed to be as Messiah. Jesus' reaction to this is, <sighs> I don't know if that translates on the podcast very well. Jesus sighs and says, this generation not getting a sign. I am not here to satisfy your preconceived ideas about who I am. Because you are going to bow down to who I am, not who you think I should be. I am God incarnate in the flesh. I dictate how this works, not you. The Pharisees were not willing to listen. So then we go to verse 14. Because in verse, it's really interesting how he feeds the 4,000, then he gets in the boat, goes over to the district of Dalmanutha, and then the Pharisees are there arguing and testing, and he's like, you're not getting the sign, and he gets back in the boat and goes back to the other side. So just picture that. It's just a, it's kind of abrupt. Now, on this journey, having just had the conversation, look at verse 14. They'd forgotten to bring bread, which seems to be the disciples' constant malfunction throughout the Gospels. They are the bread forgetness people I've ever, you just, they just are constantly forgetting the food. Clearly not Americans. We would not, we would not have messed this up. We would have, we would have planned a route that included multiple stops at Golden Corral or wherever. So, um, but the disciples, they probably though, let's, let's give them a little, let's cut them a little slack. This was probably an uncomfortable moment with the Pharisees and they just got in the boat and left and they didn't have, they forgot the bread. Jesus had just, there were, how many baskets were left over? Uh, seven, seven baskets full. And they had plenty to pick and they, they didn't bring any. So, uh, they're on the boat and I can just see them and I, you can just see Peter or somebody in the back going, oh my gosh, we forgot we forgot the bread. Oh my gosh, we forgot the bread again. So, so they're having that conversation. And Jesus hears it and says in verse uh, 15, he cautions them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This seems like a weird thing, just... And this is Jesus all the time, just throwing curveballs because he's using moments like this to teach all the time, all the time. It makes me feel better. Girls, pay attention, okay? Because, uh, because I'm trying to use little moments all the time. Hannah has actually said, Dad, 
You don't have to turn this into a lecture. Yes, I do. Jesus did it, so I'm going to do it too. So, so you, you, you're going to get dad lectures because you take these moments. Dads, moms, you recognize these moments. and You're like, I want my kid to get this. So dads, here's your license to give godly, not whatever, godly lectures in real life moments to say, like my dad used to tell me, you're brushing your teeth. Steve, you better read your Bible and pray every day. Just like your teeth will rot, your spirit will rot if you don't read your Bible and pray every day. Did that stick with me? Well, yeah, because I think I was four when he first told us that. Never, you don't, you just, it stays. Jesus is doing that, and he says, beware. Now, if God in the flesh is saying, watch out, beware, we should probably say, hmm. Is this important to pay attention to? It is. Beware of what? The leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now what is leaven? It's just a fancy, well, it's an old school word for yeast. How many of you know how yeast works? You take a, you make your flour and bread, you're making your bread, and you just put a little tiny yeast. It's bacteria. It's the coolest most interesting thing in the world, and come back two hours later and it's raised up. And, and, and then you put it in an oven and you bake it. It's delicious. It's bread. In fact, that's what this whole chapter is about, is bread. And so Jesus tells them, as they're talking about not having any bread, he tells them, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, Herod gets thrown in here, and it's really unique, but you'll find out later, you find out in Luke, that Herod, when, when Jesus is being crucified and they brought Jesus before him, Herod had not yet seen Jesus, but he'd heard all about him. And Do you remember what he asks? Perform a sign for me. Perform a, I want to see a sign. He wants the same thing the Pharisees want says, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Leaven in the first century and throughout Greek literature was typically meant to, to be viewed as corruption. It just takes a little bit of corruption and it spreads. Anybody ever work in an office where there's one employee that is an absolute nightmare and then that employee is gone and it's like you're all walking on sunshine the next day? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How can one person do that to an odd, like a lot, okay, there's a lot of like amens to that. So we all know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of that poisonous mindset spreads. This is how the world works. The mindset, the mindset of the Pharisees just takes a little bit, just a little bit, and it will spread throughout your whole life, and you won't even know that it did it. Because it's just a little bit. It's just a little itty bit. And Jesus tells them to beware of it. Be careful of it. Now look at their response. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. 
So they're not getting it. If you go back all the way to chapter 6, they did it there too. For the exact same reason. He's, he's talking about bread again. What was it we were supposed to remember about the bread? Oh, Jesus, what are we supposed to... Anyway, the, I, sometimes I'm glad the disciples are in here. They go on to become people that turn the world upside down. And they're morons just like us, which is really encouraging. Truthfully, it is. They're like, he's, he's talking about leaven. Beware of the Pharisees, leaven. He's talking about bread. And look at Jesus, what he says. Jesus, aware of this, said, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? There's a, there's a more important lesson here. Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? All right. Okay, well, they said to him, 12. Because they did remember. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now, you may be sitting there going, I really hope he explains what that might mean. But listen to the way Jesus, let me just say this. Jesus wants us to think. Jesus wants us to get in the scripture and, and not get it at first, meaning you have to keep thinking about it and praying about it and call your friends about it and ask people in church about it and look up other people's opinions on it, and think, and pr God wants us to wrestle with Scripture. Not just, okay, I read it, I did my duty, and move on. God wants us to engage with His Word, and there's some stuff in here. Church, I'm just telling you, you read it for 20 years and be like, I, I still don't know what He's saying. That's not a discouragement. That's an encouragement from God to, come on, come on, come on deeper, come on in. There is bread from heaven for you. Come, come on in. That's, that's what he wants from us. So when you get something like this, because I read this, I'm like, what is Jesus trying to get at? I get that the mindset of the Pharisees is wrong. I get that. I get that a little bit of that mindset getting into our lives can create bigger problems and grow. Doubts work this way. Anger and bitterness works this way. Specifically, the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees works this way in Christians. You can get cynical. You can get untrusting of everything. And you ultimately become that way towards God. You can become focused on yourself. Kind of like disciples saying, we forgot the bread. And Jesus takes that moment to say, there's a bigger problem. Because this boat's going to land and we're going to be able to find some bread. There's a bigger problem. I want you to be aware of it. It's the leaven of the Pharisees. It's the mindset. It's the attitude that demands a sign and refuses to see what's in front of them. Why do they refuse to see? Because they're hard-hearted. What does Jesus call the disciples? Hard-hearted. Are you hard-hearted that you can't see 
What is the answer, Pastor Steve? What is he trying to get them to see? Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the bread. He is the life-giving substance they need. He's here in the boat. He's the one that fed the 5,000. He's the one who fed the 4,000, cast out the demons. He's God in the flesh. He's in the boat. And they're like, we don't have any bread. He's the bread. It is... You would, you would think, because this chapter keeps going, we're not going to do it this morning, but Peter's about to make the most famous confession. You're the Christ. We're coming up on that moment. This moment leads to that moment. But Jesus is, he's, can't you see who's in the boat with you? The bread of life. Pharisees and Herod wanted signs to believe. Miracles and signs are sometimes used by God to get and show His transcendent glory and power as a way that leads to belief. But clearly not all the time because the Pharisees were seeing the miracles and they didn't believe. In the book of Acts they saw miracles and sometimes people, because of that, listened to the teaching and believed, and then other times they didn't. So miracles do not automatically equal belief. But sometimes God does use them that way. So you can't, you can't just put a definitive label on that. The primary method for people believing and what Jesus is trying to get them to see is revelation of who God is through the preaching of the gospel. The revelation of who Jesus is in the boat with them, walking the roads with them. He is the bread of life. The primary method for all of us today who do not get to be in the literal boat with Jesus is to have heard the preaching of the gospel that we are lost in our sin and that provision has been made for salvation through Jesus Christ. So, there's a revelation that has to happen to see him as the bread of life. Look at what he says in verse 21. Do you not yet understand? Do you not see? Peter's about to see. He's about to say it out loud. Jesus is going to attribute that to God, showing him. Why don't you turn with me to John chapter 6, which is where we already were. I read that on purpose for communion, so we could go back to it. John chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 48. He is having, wait for it, an argument with Pharisees. He 
He's already told them earlier, which made them really mad. He told them in verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus has already told them that. They're mad. He says some other things. There's a lot here in John chapter 6. I'm just going to jump in at verse 48. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. God sent that manna. It was miraculous, but it was temporary. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is talking about himself. This is the bread that comes down. Okay, I just read that. Verse uh, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This was a hard saying, but it is the most freeing saying. The point of Jesus in the boat telling his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he's telling them, do not become so convinced in your own mind that you know exactly how this is going to work out, that you need sign after sign after sign to prove it. Because you've already made up your mind and you're already hard-hearted. Beware of that leaven because that is really easy for all of us to experience. We don't have to be Jewish Pharisees to experience that kind of mindset. In fact, the world around us, that leaven is seeping through our Christian culture so that we don't have a Christian culture anymore. And as we uproot it, we will find out how devastating that is because all the search for beauty and all the search for truth can only come through Christ and to dismiss him means you have to find some other way to do it. You're looking for a transcendent beauty. Everybody knows what transcendent means, right? It's something that goes beyond. It's something beyond ourself. So what happens when you get rid of any belief in God? You can't have anything transcendently wonderful. You're stuck with you. And mankind is not transcendently wonderful, except if we're looking at it as God made us in his image. We're broken, flawed by sin. We need the gospel revelation of the bread of life to save us from our sinfulness so we can experience beauty and truth and the goodness of God. But people in our culture right now are rejecting God and desperately trying to prove we don't need Him, we don't want Him, we're going to do it our own way, and you will see culture continually corrupted by this leaven and gross and wrong and sinful. There is a massive Christian deconstruction movement. How many of you have heard that word before? Deconstruction. Deconstruction is when people who have grown up in the church find themselves with questions. The leaven of the Pharisees and the cynicism of this world comes in, and it grows. They've not really eaten of the bread of life. They've just been around a bunch of people who talk about it. They're, in a sense, in the boat with Jesus, with the bread of life, and not aware 
of the potency and the eternal life that he provides. They're just around the trappings of church. They're around the periphery. It feels good at first, but then they start having questions, and because they have no root in themselves, they wither up and die and leave the faith and call it deconstruction. I deconstructed my faith, realized it was all a bunch of nonsense, and now I can't wait to get on the internet and tell people about it. It is very, very popular right now. Podcast after podcast dedicated to Christian deconstruction. You can Google it if you wish. You will find a never-ending supply of Christians who are doing this. They are like the disciples who did not yet fully understand exactly who Jesus was. They had been around him, but they didn't know him as the bread of life. And they walk away. Verse 52 in John 6, Then Jesus, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if, I, if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by, my fa by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I see this happening in our world today. Everywhere I look, I see this happening. I see Christians, so-called, in churches their whole life, but never really having devoted their lives to Christ and have eaten and tasted and seen that the Lord is good, get into a culture that is no longer friendly to Christianity and it's no longer warm and fuzzy to be a Christian and they start walking away and that's why I brought up deconstruction. Why am I telling you all this? Because I am a shepherd and I have a staff in this sermon and I'm trying to keep the sheep from following suit in this world that is, I believe, going to increasingly, you will feel the pressure. Some of the pressure is not persecution in the sense of somebody saying, Homer, you're an idiot for believing in Jesus. Some of the pressure is, what about this question? What about this question? What about this question? What about this question? And because 
A lot of Christians have just hung around the edges of Christianity like the disciples in the boat and not having a clue. They don't know what to do. I've got the answer. I've got the answer and the hope. Jesus already gave it to us. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. Fall on his mercy. And call out to him and say, Jesus, I believe. Help the parts of me that don't believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. And if there's any part of me that doesn't believe, fix it. Help me. God's freedom and His salvation are not fragile. I hope that is not the image I'm giving. What I am trying to say is, examine yourself. Have you eaten the bread of life? Have you eaten from the living Christ what He's done? Or is Christianity just something you do because you live in Appalachia? Mom went to church. Grandma went to church. Great-grandma went to church. It's Sunday. That's what you're supposed to do. Is that why you're here? Or have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Because just kind of floating around on the edges is not going to work. It will not sustain you in the long term. You have to eat the bread of life. And you do that by coming to Him saying, Lord, I believe. And you believe because you hear the gospel. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the Holy Spirit has to open our hearts, eyes to see the truth. And when that happens, you say yes. And you run to the cross and you repent of your sin. It's not being a good person. So, Jesus is the bread of life. The leaven of the Pharisees is the kind of hardened heart that demands certain kind of answers to satisfy you. And the answer that Jesus gives is you don't get a sign. What you get is just the declaration, I am the King. Believe me. I am the bread of life. Receive me. My blood will wash away your sin be cleansed. That is what you get from Jesus. Now there's a lot more I can say. Because I am not suggesting that there aren't answers. I'm not suggesting that there aren't answers to difficult questions. Peter tells us to always have a reason for the hope that is within us. There's a place for apologetics and explaining how we've got all the stuff we've got going on in our world and sin and evil and what about the dinosaurs? There's, there's answers to all those questions. And they're biblically based. But, but what I'm telling you this morning is, you need the bread of life. You need Jesus, the risen Savior. That is who you need. Not church. Not being a better person. Not giving up cussing and drinking. That's probably good. But that's not what saves you. What saves you is Jesus receiving Him and receiving His life. Let's stand up. We're going to be dismissed this morning.
want to have you bow your head with me if you would. This could be a morning for you that eternity is staring you in the face, knocking on your heart. The Holy Spirit does that work. It's not me. I can't make you feel guilty enough or scared enough. That isn't my job. My job is to declare who God is and what he's done. This morning, if the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, all you have got to do is say, yes, I receive you, Jesus, the bread of life. I receive you as Savior. I receive you as King. I believe you died for my sin. I believe God raised you from the dead for that purpose. I believe I can't save myself. I am simply receiving you as the King of my life, as my Savior. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing this morning. We thank you for the hearts you're knocking on. And for those of us that have received you, have tasted the bread of life, Lord, I pray that today would serve as an encouragement and as a reminder that we can be affected by the mindsets of this world, that we are in need of testing ourselves to make sure we're not giving in to that leaven of the Pharisees but trusting in you. Lord, we thank you for it today. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I pray for a harvest in this area. I pray for hearts to be open to receive. Lord, I pray that we would see this baptismal filled with people who have made professions for you and who have been saved by your blood. Lord, we thank you for it today. God, let us shine like lights this week. Give us answers in those moments when we don't think we have answers by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you can... Tim? Yes, please do. Amen. Amen. Did everybody hear that? Amen. Listen, Willow said it this morning. We're, we're all mouthpieces in various ways. You don't, you don't have to have an answer right now for the dinosaur question, but you can absolutely call and say, hey, you want to come to church with me? You can absolutely do that. If God's got somebody on your heart, you should take that from Tim this morning. You call him. Call him today. Take him some breadsticks for the Super Bowl. We'll tie in with the sermon. Tell him to link to the 
Pastor talked about a lot about bread. But seriously, you just don't you don't know. You don't know. Ken, did you have something? Right. Right. That's the truth. We had 20 people here praying last Sunday night, and it was it was just awesome. Um, we pray in here on Friday mornings too. If anybody wants to come, 7 a.m. I know your grandparents wouldn't balk at that, so I just want to challenge everybody. Um, but anyway. You don't know how God might use you this week. Just ask him to use you. And if you just don't know. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Why don't you give somebody a hug and some kind of encouragement on your way out this morning? And God bless every last one of you. We'll see what he does next week.